Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hello and welcome back. This is Lori. I'm here without Kate today. She um, agreed to let me do an episode about where is God in all of this? How do we see God in the middle of some of the ugliest of the ugly? Um, so let me just start by saying I'm not a theologian. I am a social worker and um, I am a person who loves the Lord, and I have spent my entire adult life trying to make sense of where is God when I'm confronted over and over and over again by the brokenness of this world. Um, so I'm not a theologian, and I don't claim to have all the answers. Um, I think the theologians would agree that we can't have all the answers. Um, and honestly, um, the last episode was about how this all feels to us. And for me, it's kind of a complicated thing when I'm recording with Kate, frankly, because um, obviously I authenticity is important to me and it's important to us. Um, but it's not about me. This is Kate's story. And I am, you know, a passenger on this train with her, very much walking next to her. But this is her story that we're telling. So um, there are some things about how this feels for me that are, frankly, not relevant. Um, and really not something that I think Kate would be super comfortable with. Um, so I don't necessarily share those things the rest of the time. Um, but I guess I'm just going to say that there are many times in my career, and certainly many times in this journey with Kate, where um, I am simply left saying, Lord, give me the words. Lord, tell me where it is I need to go with this. What is it that I need to say? And over and over and over, over 30 plus years of walking with people, he shows himself to be faithful to just supernaturally, honestly, so many times, just supernaturally, he gives me a path to take or the specific words to say that lead to um, the outcome, the healing that is needed. Um, and so I'm counting on that for this episode because I don't have all the answers. Um, so <clears throat> I guess what I'm going to say is um, the other thing I'm going to say is that Kate and I joke um, because we are trying to keep it not too heavy and accessible for people. But I also try to keep things lighthearted because I need for Kate to know that this is not too heavy. Um, the reality is what she said that, you know, many people before have tried, truly tried to hold this story with her, but they have not, her statement is they were not able to hold enough to really help. Um, so she fears that. She fears that I'm going to suddenly wake up one day and decide that this is all way too heavy for me. And so I am... Um, constantly in that dance of 
obviously needing for her to know that her real feelings are of course being held gently and with great respect, but also that I'm not overwhelmed or crushed by this. Um, the interesting thing about being a social worker is that people go into this field because we have a tenderness for, um, people and for the human condition. Um, but yet now because we have that tenderness, we're also now walking in all of this pain and all of this mess. It's just such an upside down, again, God's upside down economy. So the very people who perhaps would be the most affected by sitting with people in their mess are the very people who are the right ones to be sitting in the mess. So this is heavy and my heart does break constantly for Kate's experience and the experience of many others. Um, But God continues to be faithful and just backfill me. Um, I don't know how else to explain it, but he gives me what I need when I need it. Um, and, um, helps me to keep myself emotionally regulated. You know, anybody who knows me personally knows I'm a crier, which is the weirdest thing for a therapist, but I am, I'm a crier. Um, but God has this uncanny way of, um, having that not happen in my office, like in my personal life. I cry. I cry at Hallmark. I cry at, I'm a sympathetic cryer. If somebody else is crying, you can pretty much bet that I'm going to be crying. Um, but not in my office and definitely not with Kate because that would signal to her that it's all too much and that she's hurting me. And she is very aware and has a deep desire not to spread the pain. So I guess I just wanted to start by acknowledging the fact that I know it's weird that sometimes it seems like we're joking about these very heavy things, but um, it's important to signal that this is not too heavy to carry. Okay, so back to the question of where is God when these ugly, painful things happen? Um, So over many, many years of working with trauma survivors, um, I have worked with many people who are people who love the Lord. Um, and if you were to ask them about anything else, where's God in the hard things, they would hands down a thousand percent every time say, well, of course God was there because, you know, he's promised to never leave nor forsake us. Right. So they know the answer, but when we're processing trauma and I say to them, so where do you think God was? Where was Jesus in that moment when that very sad, very painful thing was happening to you. Consistently, they look at me shell-shocked and horrified and like they want to throw up or run away. It horrifies them to think that God was there, a witness to this overwhelming, painful, what they feel as a shameful experience in their life. Um, I think of it as it's Adam and Eve hiding in the garden, only these people who have been traumatized and abused, it's not their sin they're hiding from. It's the brokenness of humanity. It, it's that moment on the cross when Jesus holds all the pain and all the sin of humanity, past and present. And what happens is we end up feeling the weight of the ugliness, even when it's not our ugliness. That's just being human. So the question of, so where was God when Job lost everything? Where was God when Elijah was terrified and exhausted and just wanted to die? Where was God when David was running from Saul? And where was God when David committed adultery and murder? And how about when Moses was terrified to go to Pharaoh? And then when he had to lead the cranky, afraid Israelites through the desert? How about when Peter was crushed by the guilt of denying Jesus? 
and Esther when she had a choice to make between protecting other people or protecting herself. And when Paul was persecuting Christians and then when Paul was imprisoned and beaten and shipwrecked. So we could go on and on about um, those in the scripture who are, um, who we can see God's unfailing presence in the midst of the mess of this life. Um, And then we bring it to the here and now. So where is God currently when our loved ones die? When we have prodigal children? When we are falsely accused or when we're abused? How about when we're exhausted or lonely or sick? He's there. We know that that's the right answer. We understand that that's not new, right? Um, God will never leave us nor forsake us, Deuteronomy 31.6 and Joshua 1.5. But it is so, so hard for us to make sense of a loving God who would allow his children, who he says are precious to him. How does a loving God allow those precious children to suffer? Okay, so first, hopefully we are all convinced that our perfect Heavenly Father does not orchestrate the hard things. He is not a God that causes our pain, but he is a sovereign and all-powerful God So again, we have to go back to, so where is God when these hard things happen? Um, So probably a lot of us know the story of the Ten Boom family. Um, Ten Boom family was a Dutch family during the Holocaust who sheltered Jews and ended up in a concentration camp. So Betsy and Corey Ten Boom are sisters, were sisters, who ended up in one of the larger concentration camp barracks together. When they arrived, Corey, who was the more outspoken and headstrong sister, um, was appalled by the overcrowding. Um, Betsy pointed out to her that with the overcrowding, they would have a better chance to share the gospel with more women because they were all clustered so close together. Um, then they got found their bed and they went to climb in and they discovered that the place was infested with fleas. So uh, Betsy quickly urged Corey to thank God for the fleas because they were f- clinging to, right, in all circumstances, praise God. Um, so Betsy was saying, okay, Corey, right now we have to thank God for the fleas. And Corey said, come on, how you're no, even God can't make me thank God for fleas. Um, it took months before the sisters were able to discover the reason God allowed the fleas. Ultimately, what they realized is that the fleas were the reasons that the guards stayed out of the barracks so the women could share the hope of the gospel with the women around them. They were not likely to get caught because the guards wouldn't come in because they didn't want to get fleas. It took months. It took the family, of course, years to understand fully what it was that God was doing by even allowing this. I mean, you can imagine with the Ten Booms, here they are doing the quote unquote right thing. It was the right thing. Sheltering Jews, it was the right thing. And in, in return for that, what they got was the death of precious family members and a lot of heartache. Um, so yes, they had to ask themselves over and over and over again. So where was God? Well, they got the answer with the fleas. So Lee Strobel wrote a book, The Case for Faith, and he tackles this question at, at length and lots of other questions of the faith. It's a great book. Read it. Um, and when you read it, the bottom line of the question where is God in the mess? The bottom line is, well, in truth, we'll not know that because we are not God. We cannot see the beginning from the end. We are not able to look at all the things all at once and understand that. And so for us to think that we're going to be understand, 
be able to understand what it is that God is up to in these hard things um, is honestly, it's foolishness. I mean, I understand why we do it. Obviously, I understand we're all trying to just make sense of it, um, but we're not going to be able to. And the acceptance of the fact that we are not going to be able to understand it fully is such a huge freeing thing. And it is really founded on the ability to know the heart of God, even when we can't understand his reasoning. I can much more easily tolerate the fact that I won't understand why when I am able to cling to the truth of who God is. And that makes all the difference in the world. Um, The truth is my entire adult life has been spent walking deeply in the mess of humanity. I started working with homeless families, and then it was child protective services, and then working with attachment-challenged foster and adoptive families, um, domestic adoption, as well as international. Um, And now that led to where I am now, working with uh, trauma survivors, both adult and children. Lots of vicarious trauma there, right? I mean, I have had to be a witness. I've chosen to be a witness many, many times um, to people's deepest hurts. And sure, there's a lot of that vicarious trauma. Um, I've not been able to look away. Every time I think I'm going to take a break, I'm just going to like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. I'm just going to, you know, work with more of the worried well. I don't have to dive deep all the time. Every single time I think that I'm going to do that, God brings someone to me that I can't ignore or a need that I know that I can meet because of who he has made me to be and how he has equipped me for the very situation. Not that I think that someone else can't do it, but because my yes is on the table, you know, we sing those songs in church and, you know, my yes is on the table and God takes me up on it on a regular basis. Um, I just don't know any other way to face the aching of this life, but full on, I just don't. Um, when we first came to the chapel, honestly, our family, my husband and I, we were eager for those amazing messages, but ready for, to be perfectly honest, a little consumerism. We had done all the things, elder board, working on the, the cutting the grass and planting the flowers and VBS director, Sunday school teacher, Christmas play, and so on and so on and so on. And um, we were ready to be a little bit more strategic in how we invested. I was involved in one ministry um, that focused on one area where God could specifically use me, but we really wanted to be a little bit anonymous. <laughs> ah, clearly, God had other plans. Um So here I find myself um, in this position, this situation I really never imagined I would be ever in my life, Um, but my yes is on the table. And so I don't want to be putting this podcast out there and then leaving people who I know are hurting. I know that this is hard to listen to. I know that it, it can make you jaded. It can make you ask where God is. Um, So I'm going to do my best to tell you what it is that God has given me, what I kind of the place that I have come to in with that question. Um, And I hope that it helps. Um, So, okay. So if we start with the idea that God is a perfect father, full stop, that's it. That's, that is who he is. Um, And that means he doesn't have any other way to be other than perfectly balanced between loving us well and providing the structure that we need because otherwise we go astray, right? He's the perfect shepherd, the perfect father. Um, He is love. He is justice. He is power. He is all knowing. He is 
all of that, seeing the beginning from the end. So if we assume that as the perfect father, God's heart is for us and that he is all powerful, then we just keep coming back around to that question of why doesn't he stop the bad things? Um, so again, I'm not a theologian, so bear with me here, but this is sort of where I've landed. First off, God does not want his children to be puppets on strings. He is not looking for people to only seek him or follow him or obey him because they are unable to do anything else. That's not actually love or obedience or loyalty. Um, that's behavior. That's legalism that draws us in. You know, it, part of us wants to be like, okay, well, I can just do these things. But God is not after a doing. He's after, he's looking for a heart condition. And he's looking for us to kneel in not just our physical self, but in our heart posture. That's what he's looking for. And that's not possible if we don't have free will. If we don't have the free will, then we don't get to make that choice. And therefore, there can't be a heart posture of, of choosing to kneel to him. He wants us to love him and desire relationship with him enough to humble ourselves and fall at his feet. And we can't do that if we are puppets with no free will. But free will is an all or nothing thing. The quote unquote good people and the bad people all get free will. Okay, yes, I realize that there are no real good people, but for the sake of this, let's just go there because if we're really going to be honest with ourselves, that is how we tend to think. I just want to pause here though and remind us all that even if we're thinking about the quote unquote bad people, no one starts out their life saying, I think I'll grow up to be a sex offender. Or I think I'll grow up to be a murderer or an abusive parent. The truth is that broken people hurt others. That's not an excuse because there are many, many, many hurt people who choose to be the ones who stop the pain cycle. But it is really important for us to just breathe and hold some space for compassion. Um, okay, so the bad people also have free will and sadly, they will use it to hurt. Okay, so that explains why God doesn't just stop the bad people. I mean, he could. I mean, that's how I think of it. He could, but he wants us to have free will. Okay, so what about things like illnesses or natural disasters or accidents? Um, so here's how I explain sort of those other pieces. Um, okay, so I think it's easier to understand this deeply once you're a parent. I'm not saying you can't understand it before you're a parent, but I think it's easier as we become parents. So in spite of what our children often think, the truth is that a parent's favorite answer is always yes. We'd love to see our kids happy. Um, but often we say no or not now because we actually want something more than we just want to see our kids happy. Again, God is the perfect father. So if we as the broken vessels that we are, the earthly parents that we are, if we can get that, then obviously God gets that. As earthly parents, we want our kids to grow more than we want them to be just happy. We want them to grow, to develop. We care about their character, their work ethic, their ability to put other people ahead of themselves, their kindness, intelligence, spiritual development, all the things. Yes, of course we want them to be happy. That's our favorite state for our children to be in. We want them to be happy. But more than anything, we really want them to grow. Um, so my youngest child, my daughter, um, has epilepsy, you know, not the kind of epilepsy that is just stopped by medication since the time she was really small. Um, she has 
struggled with this. Um, now I'm happy to say she is an adult about to finish nursing school, getting married, all the things, but she still struggles. Um, but my daughter will tell people like, frankly, she got into this conversation with her Uber driver recently, but she would tell people that the best things about her are the result of her struggles and that, and of God's work in the middle of that pain. My daughter's faith is completely different than it would have been otherwise. And so is mine. She has had to see God at work in her life, even when his answer to her is not now. Maybe not ever. Maybe she won't ever be seizure free. But God has given her the ability to see him in the midst of that. That is a faith that is deep and not wavering. It's not blown around by whether or not it's a good day or a bad day. That is part of what God is after here. That is what he is doing for us. So God, the perfect father, cares deeply about our happiness and our contentment and our safety, but he cares about something a whole lot more than just that. He cares about our sanctification and our salvation. He cares about our ability to have real peace, the kind of peace that only comes from being able to rest in our place with him. And that can only come when we are surrendered to him. Okay, so hang with me here. No one surrenders when we're standing. We kneel. And no one kneels until they come to the end of themselves. And no one comes to the end of themselves without suffering. I wish that wasn't true. I really wish that wasn't true. But look around you. It is true. So our perfect father who loves us beyond imagining has to watch us stumble around hurting and being hurt because he wants us to choose to stay in the warmth and safety of his arms. We keep pushing away, big ways, small ways. We just want to do it ourselves. And then we lament the fallout. But he just keeps on loving us enough to let us live with the consequences that we face because he knows that that is the only way we will ever choose, choose to let him lead us. So where is he leading us? Where does any perfect father lead to healing and safety and love and joy. Those fruit of the Spirit that are the free gifts of the Holy Spirit. Suffering brings humility. Humility brings submission. And submission brings peace. That is God's upside down economy. The perfect, flawless Savior died in my place. Without Him, I'm selfish and prideful and angry and careless. With him, I reflect the light that he brings, and that is the only place that perfect peace is found. Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So that's the answer. The answer is that our perfect loving father wants us to bend our knee to him because he loves us, because he knows that from that place of surrender and submission, we actually find peace and joy. And also because he is a holy God and will not tolerate his, his humanity continuing to rebel and deny him. Um, so I, I hope that that is an answer that is helpful. Um, I know that it's still complicated and I'm sure that there are so many pieces that if you were to ask me this question a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, i sure I would have more thoughts. Um, but these are the pieces that God has given me up until now. Um, and I hope that these, this stuff helps you to be able to land in a place that says God is still God. 
even when his answer is not an answer that we're comfortable with, God is still God and he is still good. And I understand those are questions many with bigger brains than mine have tried to answer. Um, but you're listening to me right now. And this is what I have. Um, so I hope and pray that together um, as the body of Christ, we can lean into that space that says no matter what, our God is good and he will not be thwarted. His will will be done. So I just want to end this time um, by spending a few minutes just crying out to the Lord. God, you are a perfect father. And I know, I know, I know that you love Kate beyond measure. She can't feel it. I know that there is this huge, painful barrier between her and you, Lord, that I know is not of your creation. Um, It is straight from the pit of hell, Lord, and I know that you love her, and it is your deepest desire for her to know deep down that you are a God that is perfectly loving and that you have held her in the palm of your hands right along. Um, You have held her heart. You have held her story. You have orchestrated circumstances to bring people into her life people who came in for a season and carried her and people who are here now and are carrying her. And Lord, I know that there will come a day when she will deep inside know that you have never left her um, and that you will not ever leave her. Lord, I am grateful that you have brought me to this place, that you have given me the the words and the heart and just the wisdom at times to know what path to take, Lord, when I am constantly uncertain and constantly confused about what it is that you're doing sometimes and what it is that we're supposed to do next. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for always showing me and equipping me. Lord, I pray, I pray for the body of Christ to rise up into this space that Kate and all the others like her, men and women, children, adults who have been wounded deeply, Lord, by um, by abusive people and even the abusive people themselves who are obviously wounded, Lord. And I pray for those who are watching who maybe aren't even, don't have direct abuse, but are just wounded by knowing that this exists out here. I pray for the church, Lord, to rise up and reflect you, reflect your son, reflect who you are and what your heart is for your people, that we might be a people of truth and light and that we stand solidly for the vulnerable, that they will know you, that they will know who you are, the perfect loving God. Lord, we pray, I pray that we will stand steady while you do what you are doing and that we will be working with your will, not against your will, that we will be bold in the things that you call us to Lord, that we will not be afraid, but that we will stand solidly. Lord, thank you. God, we love you for who you are. Amen. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.